So we got together and we decided to do like a little bit of like a skills exchange. I would teach him about ASMR and he would teach me about immersive theatre. So it started out as this sort of collaboration art project and we realised we wanted to try and test whether ASMR is something you can do in person. No one had done that before. Mm -hmm. We actually, we were in New York City at the time. So the first thing we did was like, I'm sure someone has done this. And then we Googled and we couldn't find anything. So <laughs> then we made our own version and it, it very quickly took off uh, on its own. We just kept selling out all our little experiments and then it became more and more formal. And then the press started coming. So it was this really beautiful, organic kind of growth mm -hmm. um, until one day Netflix emailed and then we were like, okay, this is, this is real now. <laughs> Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Melinda Lau. My next guest is an artist, experience designer, and immersive creator working across the fields of art, culture, immersive entertainment, and experiential marketing. She is the co-founder of Whisper Lodge, a production company pioneering the practice of live ASMR. Since 2016, their hit immersive show has toured New York, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, and has been featured on Netflix and in the New York Times. Whisper Lodge has created ASMR experiences for brands such as Audible, Refinery29, and Moxie Hotels. She also consulted on and forwarded the book Brain Tingles, published by Adams Media. Her name is Melinda Lau, and you can find more information on her and Whisper Lodge at whisperlodge.nyc. I've been wanting to talk to an ASM artist for a long time now, and Melinda has a wonderful knowledge of the history and artistry of this particular phenomenon, so I really think you're going to enjoy this. I know I am. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I know it's it's a bit late where you are, so I really appreciate no it. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm generally a night owl, so this is okay for me. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> uh, so how are things in Singapore? You're you're doing okay over there? Yeah, things here are pretty good, actually. Like, uh, we are going into phase three of reopening really, really soon. Oh, good. I, I hope at least. But, um, you know, live performances uh, can now resume with limited audience numbers. Um, so things are looking pretty good here. Um, That's good. I'm glad. I'm sad that the U.S. is still kind of in a mess. Yeah. Actually, Canada's kind of following suit a little bit now, too. We closed oh, down no. to a, a limited, like a sort of modified phase two so, uh, yeah, yeah, in Europe as well. It seems like the whole world is kind of going through this second wave, third yeah. wave. How many waves? I don't know already. Yeah, but, I mean, how many yeah. waves do we need, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, uh, yeah, it's a bit much. Wow, weird. The world is very strange right now, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I guess in that sense, it kind of leads into directly what we're going to talk about because ASMR does help a lot with anxiety. <laughs> yes, it does. 
And I think a lot of people are going through that right now. So I I have to ask, how did you get into ASMR yourself? Um, for me, I've always had ASMR. So I, I've known about it ever since I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, but I never knew how to express it. So actually, for most part of my growing up years, I never talked to anybody about it. I used to think I was so strange because I would... Um, go online and watch these strange videos. Back then, there was no ASMR. So I was just watching like random tutorials and videos that just happened to trigger it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I discovered like, okay, this thing had a name, then it completely changed my life. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the history of this too. So when did ASMR first become a thing? Do you know? So I think... Um, people had started discussing it online maybe in like 2007, 2008. Back mm-hmm. then, they they talked on several different forums and websites using all sorts of names such as brain orgasms or the weird feeling, <laughs> um, attention-induced euphoria. Lots of names got thrown around. Yeah, and wow. But that in, doesn't make it sound yeah. very scientific or or acceptable actually i mean doesn't it kind of put a stigma on it (laughs) yeah exactly and that was the whole kind of like um the point of naming asmr asmr so um asmr was coined in 2010 by a woman in the u.s called jennifer allen Mm -hmm. and it stands for autonomous sensory meridian response and her intention actually was to try and make a name that sounded more legitimate yeah um and so it's intentionally kind of like pseudoscientific um and i think because of that because of that legitimate sounding name people then caught on and and it's sort of everyone online just agreed that this is now the name yeah actually that makes a lot yeah. of sense and and legitimate legitimizing it <laughs> i speak for a living <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that that is um i i think yeah like you say it makes it more acceptable for everyone to pay attention to and so it becomes a thing you know <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and i know that yeah. there is a huge community of this on youtube definitely but I'm curious yes. as to what your first ASMR person was to watch. Like, I know it, you were watching before it was actually named, but when it was yes. named, do you remember who you were watching first? Um, I think don't. I mean, there were definitely several of them that I can remember in the early days, like Gentle Whispering, who is so famous right now. Yeah. There was also The Water Whisperers. Okay. I don't think she uploads frequently anymore. Mm. Um Whispers Red. Actually, most of the big names you see now, those are the people who have kind of stuck around for mm-hmm. a long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a it's a huge industry now, I guess. And there are a bunch yeah. of subgenres. Can you maybe speak yes. to some of those? <laughs> I mean, the, the one that I always get asked about is ASM erotica, yeah. which is <laughs> Let's just go straight there and get it out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, so for most people who experience ASMR, it is non-sexual. It is this relaxing, soothing sensation. Mm-hmm. But it is very clear for us that it is not um, arousal. And for a tiny subsection of the community, to them, ASMR is erotic. And so there are lots of erotic ASMR videos online, some of them on YouTube, some of them actually on adult websites. Um, But that is a genre that um, 
kind of it's quite controversial within the ASMR community. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then um, now, because there are so many of these videos, we get really specific um, types like mukbang, the eating videos. Oh, okay. Sort of uh, a sub. I, I don't necessarily think that it falls under ASMR, but it might have been something that came to be because ASMR also had these elements. Mm-hmm. And then we have like the fantasy fiction type videos where they are role-playing as fairies and witches. Um, <laughs> yeah. We have some like doomsday prepper videos. There's actually, there's a woman named Goodnight Moon. Have you ever watched her? Ooh, I haven't. Yeah, she she does a lot of um, like, you know, fairies and role-playing and that kind of, like she has her whole world or whatever figured out and it's fantastic. And she's a really, really good makeup artist. So she actually mm. like makes herself into these characters. That's amazing. And it's pretty outstanding. <laughs> yeah. The So the wonderful thing here is that the ASMR community is formed of all these people like who actually do all these other things. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes videos are so wonderfully made. They're like short films or they have sets and props that are just, you know, way beyond a DIY kind of level. Yeah, yeah. There's a another uh, another woman... She calls herself Latte and she's in yes. Japan. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that I love about her videos is that, yes, she has elaborate sets and you can see her making tea and putting out all the bits and pieces for whatever she's going to do and all these nice little sounds and stuff. But she actually sound designs her videos because when she's touching the screen, which is supposed to be your face, there's actually a sound involved. Like... You, that wouldn't normally be the case. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Yeah, so she actually builds in sound design, which is pretty impressive because these videos are long. Like they're, you know, they're an hour. <laughs> so yeah. it's, like, it's like a movie. <laughs> it is. It takes such a long time actually to, to prepare and then to film and edit also. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm curious as to how you do that, because I know that you're now dipping into the world of YouTube videos as well. So what is your process for that? So for me, I'm kind of in a strange position because I've been doing ASMR a long time, but in person. Yes. And then because of the pandemic, now I'm switching to online and I'm like a newbie all over again. So (laughs) I actually uh, tried to do as much research as possible. Mm -hmm. Some of the big ASMR channels, um, the creators actually put out videos on how they make their ASMR videos and they show you what their studios are like, what their mics and cameras are like. And I just studied a bunch of them and tried my best to replicate um, their setup with whatever I had on hand mm-hmm. um and for me i try to uh not overly script my videos i oftentimes prefer videos that are just like uh, that you feel like you can truly know the person or yeah. that someone is just yeah it, it's not this like slick commercial yeah it's nice to know who you're listening to i guess <laughs> yes <laughs> well some of them don't even have speaking at all right 
Yeah, yeah. There are videos specifically where they specify this is like no speaking because some people just really enjoy all the textures and the object sounds. Yeah, that's um, another subgenre, right? I, I kind of stopped yes. you from going further down that line, but we can continue. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so that's another subgenre, the ones that don't have any speaking. And, and are yeah. there others as well? I mean, you've already covered yeah. food and you've covered sex. <laughs> so <laughs> another one I, I think is pretty interesting, actually, is uh, the miniature videos. Uh -huh. So there are a ton of videos also where people just make miniature food or they make miniature models of things. And those are really popular, too. Um, yeah, like you were you doing a video whole... of that, too, weren't you? Didn't you take out like uh... li these little um, pieces from a dollhouse? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was very much inspired by all these uh, miniature videos, mm -hmm. um, sort of paint, trying to check the boxes of like all the different kinds <laughs> of ASMR things people like. Sure, <laughs> yeah. And what other genres are there besides? So, yeah. So we got to um, miniature. There's the. The, the more standard ones would be like role-playing videos where they are role-playing some sort of service role. Oh, I see. Like getting a haircut or yeah. uh, getting treatment or something like that. Getting an eye um, exam. I've seen those a lot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a preference yourself? Is there anything that you really I like? Really... Or is it different between what you like to produce and what you like to listen to? Yes, definitely. Okay. From for what I like to consume, I really love the sound of skin. So oh, okay. like mm -hmm. this kind of hand sounds. Um, so anything that has like massage in it generally really works for me. Um, and then when it comes to making videos, I actually prefer videos where I am kind of speaking directly to the camera. Mm -hmm. So so when I talk about massage videos, usually the the camera is like pretty far away from the human and there's someone doing something to another person. Mm -hmm. um, but when I make videos, I prefer to just be like up close to the camera and do a lot of uh, personal attention type of things. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting difference. Yeah, because <laughs> I guess um, we're trying to create what other people might enjoy, but yeah. There's, there's a lot that goes into it, I, you know, what you've said, yeah. <laughs> Are you looking for ways to improve your company's or podcast's impact? You'd be surprised how powerful the use of an intentional audio branding strategy can be. Want to know more? I have a free downloadable PDF that gives you my five tips for implementing an intentional audio strategy at voiceoversandvocals.com slash audio-branding-strategy. That location does ask to put you on a mailing list just to send you updates on when the new podcasts come out. But if you really don't want to give your email out, I understand. Just contact me directly. My email is all over my website, and I'll make sure you get that PDF without needing to sign up anywhere. If you do sign up, though, you also get access to a resources section called The Studio, where I have videos, white papers and PDFs, discounts from my guests, and snippets of audio from my guests that no one else gets to hear. So maybe it's worth your while. Totally up to you. And of course, if you're looking for voiceovers, you can get in touch with me about that, too. Now, back to the podcast. So you've also mentioned that you do live performances or you were doing them before all of this COVID 
nonsense hit. <laughs> um, yes. And I know that you are involved in Whisper Lodge, and and I did see the Netflix um, follow this, right? It was yes, yeah. yeah, and it was really fascinating to see what was happening there. But I'm curious, how did that actually happen? I mean, how did you end up being on the show? <laughs> Yeah, th- that's a very long story. If um, we have time, I'll try to summarize. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess um, before all of this, I went to art school, and then that was when I actually started uh, making ASMR videos mm-hmm. and trying to incorporate my experience of ASMR into my practice. And then at the same time, that was around uh, when I discovered what immersive theatre was. I went to my first immersive performance and it completely blew my mind and then I became such a fan. Um, And then a few years down the line, I met up with um, Andrew Hoffner, who is the co-founder of Whisper Lodge together with me. And he happened to be an immersive theatre director he had his own show up and running already that I went to go see it had nothing to do with ASMR Mm -hmm. and on the other side me I had just done my university research on ASMR I tried my hand at making videos and I was super interested in immersive theater so we both kind of met each other at a really good time where um, he just finished his show and people who went to his show actually accidentally experienced ASMR during the show. And he does not know anything about it. So we got together and we decided to do like a little bit of like a skills exchange. I would teach him about ASMR and he would teach me about immersive theater. So it started out as this sort of collaboration art project. And we realized we wanted to try and test whether ASMR is something you can do in person. No one had done that before. Mm -hmm. We actually, we were in New York City at the time. So the first thing we did was like, I'm sure someone has done this. And then we Googled and we couldn't find anything. So (laughs) then we made our own version and it it very quickly took off uh, on its own. We just kept selling out all our little experiments and then it became more and more formal. And then the press started coming. So it was this really beautiful, organic kind of growth mm-hmm. um, until one day Netflix emailed and then we were like, okay, this is, this is real now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. What was the experience like leading, uh, leading someone through who was being filmed? <laughs> It was, I mean, there was definitely a lot of pressure. We we had done previous uh, like press shoots before then. So it wasn't the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, but we knew that, you know, this would reach a lot of people. And so we were also nervous and we did our best. We did the show as per normal, actually. But very early on, I think we could also sense some tension from uh, the journalists who came through. Yeah. And <laughs> you know this story already, but after she came through and after the show aired, she wrote this really negative review about the show, saying that she felt like she had to give up too much of herself. And you know what? I kind of agree with her on that. Mm-hmm. The show isn't for everyone. And like, it does require you to be vulnerable, which is the, the huge difference between in-person and online ASMR. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can see why she would feel that way because, yeah, we did have this discussion previously. Yes. Not that she not that what you're doing can't be enjoyable. I mean, definitely for for some people, that's I'm, I'm sure it's an immersive, wonderful experience. 
But if you're not willing to give up a part of yourself while you're going through and be vulnerable, and I, it's harder, I think, to be vulnerable when you're being filmed. <laughs> yes, completely. Yeah. Um, so I can yeah, kind of see that, where she was coming yeah. from, and, and yeah, I could, I could see the tension on her face when she when she left. <laughs> Because, yeah, she's being filmed at the same time that she's supposed to be vulnerable. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. And so for, I guess, too, for the for everybody else, usually our, our shows are one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So um, they are very small. Like the biggest audience size we had is like eight audience members per show. But for every single audience member, we have one performer. Mm-hmm. And it is designed in that way so that the audience never feels like they have to perform a response. Mm-hmm. So what you are pointing out is exactly right. And it, it was built in our show to kind of counter that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But unfortunately, the cameras kind of counter what you built in. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Like you said, it's probably not for everybody, but for those it works for, it probably works really well. <laughs> Yeah, it's just another option, you know, to yeah. experience ASMR. If the online version is, is you know, you're sick of doing that, there is another way you can access this. Yeah. So differences in considerations between making a video and making a live performance. I mean, obviously, there's the thing of if it's being filmed, that's something else entirely. But if you're by yourself and you're going through a live experience... What's, what considerations do you have to have to make that person comfortable? A lot of it is uh, open communication, actually. So from right at the beginning, we tell you like, this is for relaxation purposes. This is how we should act. These are the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like you want to stop, here's how to tell us, raise your hand or just speak to us. All these kind of things. They're really boring logistics, but you need to communicate that upfront. And then aside from that, a very important thing is also um, to introduce touch in a very gentle and safe way. So we typically ask for consent every time we touch a new area of your body. Mm-hmm. And um, the way we approach touch is also uh, very carefully designed. So like the whole show experience is 90 minutes, but the first kind of half an hour, we actually don't, uh, well, we we bring you in through a sound bath so that that gets your kind of senses elevated a little bit first before we then bring you into a one-on-one scene with a performer. Mm-hmm. So um, everything just has to be very slow and um, openly communicated throughout the whole process. That makes sense, yeah. And then yeah. when you're doing a video, I guess it's it's much more impersonal. I mean, obviously. It's... So that's something that I'm learning too, actually, now as I'm trying to make more videos. Mm-hmm. I have to learn how to treat that little circle in the <laughs> camera as someone's face, you know. Yes. And at first, that that is a bit difficult to do because I also can't read the response. I'm really used to just being with someone and feeling their energy and knowing how to react to them. Mm-hmm. If they're feeling nervous, I'd be more, I'll, I'll be karma or that and and when you're doing it to a camera you don't have any response so it just becomes this like outpouring of me giving and giving and giving and hoping that that delivers through the screen mm-hmm. yeah I guess that can be kind of exhausting <laughs> a little bit um 
which is why sometimes I also enjoy making like I I'm I'm going for like breath versus depth because I just want to try all the different kinds and doing the videos where it's just objects on the table is quite is more uh, easier to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can yeah. imagine. I do notice that with a lot of these videos, before they actually like reach out and touch your face, they ask you permission. So yes. I have noticed yeah. that in a lot of these videos, most yes. of them, in fact, and especially now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is, I feel like that is so crucial, even though it's online, yeah. it still builds trust and kind of, allows the audience member to feel comfortable with you mm-hmm. being so close in front of their face. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very much getting to know the person that's talking to you, which is mm-hmm. part of the whole experience of having uh, an experience with these videos and, and allowing yourself to experience those brain tingles. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's relaxing, right? It is relaxing. And that, that, persona is also the reason why a lot of these um, big YouTube channels, they are, they are, the, the creators almost become like celebrities because mm-hmm. people feel like they know them after watching so many hours. Of, of their yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually, um, there are a few that I watch and I've mentioned a couple of them already, mm-hmm. but GB is another one. And yeah. the reason I love her is because she like introduces you to her entire family. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know, we know her dog. We know her husband. Yeah. <laughs> we know her hair traumas, you know. <laughs> so it's it's quite entertaining. Um, so in, in that sense, it's really nice to get to know the performer a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that way, when they do something in the video, it kind of has more of an impact almost. Yeah, yeah. And actually, that brings uh, another interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um the difference between like online versus offline. When I do my in-person ASMR stuff, um, usually I don't do it for friends because it doesn't work as well. Having that distance of me being a professional or a stranger Mm -hmm. actually makes makes it easier for the audience to trust me because... um, Oftentimes when I perform for my friends or even my husband, for example, mm-hmm. it very quickly becomes like, oh, haha, we're just hugging and like, oh, it's like playtime or, it's, yeah. you know, friendly time. And um, part of the reason why those doctor role plays, teacher role plays, um, even spa role plays are, are effective is because there's this, like, there's someone who's an expert who's here for you and providing for sure. you this professional service. There's so that, that built-in distance. Yes. Yeah. That built-in distance is actually super important. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. So you can get away with being a little more known on a video <laughs> than, yeah, yeah, than yeah. you could be in person. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It would be strange if like, the audience member knew too much about my personal life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you're right. It's a very different experience, I would imagine, if someone knows you really well and they're in person, Mm -hmm. as opposed to maybe watching one of your videos, because then you are removed from them by a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. 
Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, why not tell a friend about this podcast? It's available on all the usual outlets. Until next time.